You're walking around the city like a tourist. Your stomach starts to grumble. Okay, no big deal, you think to yourself. You just need to find a restroom, and th there should be one in this heavily foot traffic touristy area, right? You look around. You look around some more. You don't see one. Just stores, more stores, hotels, and more stores. Oh my god, there's no restroom here. find us walking to one of these stores employees only okay that's not really helpful uh what about this one customers only okay oh the line is so long oh my stomach hurts so much employees only customers only see receptionist for keys oh for sake why would I okay what about a park is there a restroom in this park friendly neighborhood park okay there's no restroom in the park why did i eat that quart of ice cream i'm lactose intolerant why did i do that uh what about the subway station maybe there's one in the subway station oh my god there isn't one in the subway station what is happening to me where are all the restrooms Born on the 22nd of December 1839 in England, John Neville Maskelyne went on to make a name for himself in the world of stage magic, sleight of hand, and card sharps. One of his legacy, a book published in 1894 when he was 55, his books Sharps and Flats, A Complete Revelations of the Secrets of Cheating at Games of Chance and Skill, is one of the first books that chronicled in depth all the tricks of the trade of the gambling world. The book is now revered in magic history. On top of that, like Houdini, the Amazing Randy, and many other magicians after him, Maskelyne also ventured into the field of supernatural debunking, going so far as to form the Occult Committee in 1914 when he was 74 years old to investigate the scams, cons, and frauds perpetuated by so-called spiritualists or psychics. In fact, that's kind of how his career got started. After seeing a performance by some charlatans performing an illusion in the name of spiritualism in his hometown, he saw through the illusion immediately, replicated it, and performed it claiming it was pure manipulation and nothing supernatural, and soon launched himself into the life of a professional conjurer, selling out venues like the Crystal Palace and the Egyptian Hall. Despite all these accomplishments in the world of illusion, pseudoscience debunking, and sleight of hand, Maskelyne's name is largely remembered in the history books for a very different reason. He was an inventor, too. An invention of his would light a fire on a very slow burning fuse that would spark a series of debates about public good and human decency, while also inspiring a Tony Award winning musical. As someone with GI issues, specifically irritable bowel syndrome, whenever I'm not home, I'm acutely aware of how far I am from a toilet. Most of the time, it's fine. I'm either at work, at a restaurant, or at a train station, or an airport where there are restrooms in those spaces, but there are places where you would be hard-pressed to find one. I'm going to be vulnerable here. Can I be vulnerable? This is my podcast. I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable. There have been a few moments in my life where I really needed to use a toilet, but I was in a place where there were no toilets and I had to take some drastic actions. It's not fun. So the topic of public restroom is a personal one for me. America's lack of public restroom is not lost on people. As recently as March 22nd, 2023, a piece was published in the New York Times by Jen A. Miller, which gave a brief history about America's lack of places to relieve themselves, including some stats. 
According to the Public Toilet Index, the US has eight public toilets for 100,000 people, which is far below many comparable nations. Video essays about North America's lack of public restrooms on YouTube are not lacking either. There's one from AJ+, one from CBC Vancouver, and a series of shorts with titles like This Blank in This City Has No Public Restrooms, all of which essentially reports the same thing in that New York Times article, free restrooms that don't require a purchase or a key or being an employee at an establishment or closes at certain hours are frustratingly hard to find. This is usually paired with commentary about how other countries don't have this problem, rubbing salt on the wound for us in North America. This is not always the case. After all, we're talking about an unchanging bodily need and a public sanitation issue as well. Before indoor plumbing became common, outdoor bathrooms, particularly group outdoor privies, were common because if people need to defecate outside anyway, it makes more sense for that to be concentrated rather than spread out all over the streets. Even in the early 20th century America, bathrooms were being built in public spaces for both sanitation reasons and socially conservative norms influenced by the Victorian era's temperance movement. The thought goes, having public restroom means that men don't have to use bathrooms in bars. Less drinking, reduces unsightly public urination, but most importantly, utilizes the new plumbing system being built to keep the streets clean. The Work Progress Administration, the WPA, and the Civil Works Administration in the 1930s added more than 2 million public toilets throughout the country. Then cities became bigger, local government budget stretched thin for various reasons, and public restrooms fell into disrepair, and our perception of the public space changed. It doesn't help that freestanding public restrooms are quite expensive to build. Restrooms became the concern of the private sector, like businesses. There's no single event that led to the disappearance of public restrooms in the US, but they are going missing. Entangled in all this was a simple invention by a British stage magician that started as a solution before quickly becoming the center of controversies. Public restrooms are public goods, and like any public goods, the tragedy of the commons applies. I'll lift the definition for this straight from Wikipedia. According to the concept, tragedy of the commons, if numerous independent individuals should enjoy unfettered access to a finite valuable resource, they will tend to overuse it and may end up destroying its value altogether, because to exercise voluntary restraint is not a rational choice for any one individual. If they did, others would merely supplant them. Yet the predictable result is a tragedy for all. Public restroom is a finite resource, not in the traditional sense that it gets consumed, like grass for cattle grazing, but in a wear and tear sense. There's really no requirement for individuals to clean them after themselves or even report through the proper channels that there's no more toilet paper, etc. We've all been in restrooms that look or smell awful, Some may be littered with garbage and sharp objects, uh, or perhaps a broken door that doesn't even close, or no mirrors, or no lights, or an entirely broken toilet altogether. Also not impossible is for a public restroom to have a more permanent resident. Public perception about public restrooms are generally pretty negative. Back to our stage magician and pseudoscience debunker John Neville Maskelin, he invented something incredibly simple. It was a penny-operated door lock for public restrooms. In other words, the first modern pay toilet. For reference, a penny then is about one to one and a half pounds today or under two US dollars. Masculine's invention and the idea of a pay toilet quickly took hold in the Western world. It's hard to say whether it became the norm or not, but it certainly became popular. The concept itself got popular, not just his invention. In certain countries and locations, these pay toilets weren't automated, but had a person actually collecting the fees. Even today, you'll find pay toilets throughout Europe. Shifting now to the US, 
The American experiment with pay toilets was less successful, which is surprising given how much America loves to take the capitalistic approach of charging money for everything. Resistance to pay toilets culminated in 1969 when feminists correctly pointed out the gender discrimination of pay toilets as urinals are free, meaning women or people who need stalls are disproportionately paying for access to public restroom. Such rage was captured in an iconic moment when California State Assemblywoman March Fong Yu smashed a toilet in front of the state capitol building in 1969 as a demonstration. Separately, the Committee to End Pay Toilets in America was formed when two high schoolers and brothers had to pay to use the restroom at a restaurant, and from there vehemently advocated to ban pay toilets in America. These actions worked, and pay toilets became banned in many states and cities, reducing them to a rarity in America after the 1970s. Curiously, this movement against the pay toilet indirectly led to a famous musical. Broadway enthusiasts may have recognized the concept of a pay toilet as it was the central device of the 2001 Tony Award-winning musical Urinetown. Inspired by using a pay toilet while traveling in Europe, Greg Kotis, one of the writers of the satirical comedy musical Urinetown, Urinetown is set in a dystopian world where, due to water shortages, all bodily functions must occur at a pay urinal operated by a mega corporation to save on water used for flushing. I guess. If people pee without paying, they are sent to Urinetown, never to return. It satirizes the notion of having to pay for something as integral to being a human as a bodily function, like peeing. One of the songs is literally called "It's a Privilege to Pee." This entire musical is only possible because the concept of a paid toilet is foreign to Americans. I hope the irony isn't lost that America. You know, the country with no universal healthcare, a country where one of the two political parties is so intently focused on privatizing everything and abolishing most, if not all, public goods and services, gathered enough political will to rid of the pay toilet. The debate over pay toilets did not fully die, and it gets temporarily revived every now and then, mostly by local news stations on a slow day. A need for more public restrooms in San Diego is pushing leaders to challenge the state's ban on pay toilets. This news clip from 2023 bears the title "San Diego Leaders Looking to Lift State's Ban on Pay Toilets." From the looks of things, it's unlikely that the ban will be lifted to overturn decades of precedents. And the impetus for this? Some city leaders want to charge people to use some of the public restrooms to help pay for additional restrooms in the area. Wait, 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 wait! Cover the cost? Do you know how expensive it is to maintain a restroom? Nay, do you know the cost of building just one new restroom? You want to use pay toilets to cover that cost? How much are you charging per visit? Even if you don't cover all the costs, in order to cover a meaningful portion of the costs, you would need to charge—I don't know what—ten dollars per visit. No one's gonna pay ten dollars to use a the toilet. They'll just pee in the street. Let's say, okay, fine. Let's say it's twenty-five cents. Let's say the cost there is relatively low. You keep it to one quarter. Let's say it's a low forty dollars per day to maintain a restroom, accounting for both the labor of cleaning and the material for upkeep. It would take a stupid 160 visit in one day just to break even. Even to cover half of that would take 80 visits. This is not a viable model, and you want to use the payment for these toilets to not just cover the cost of maintenance, but to build more toilets. It's not going to be anywhere near to cover the cost for the local government. And then again, that's not the purpose of the payment. It never was. <laughs> The discourse about public restroom is really about our public space and who shares it. This was the case since the beginning. 
In the early days, public spaces were more common and shared, meaning upper-class people inhabited those spaces as well. Therefore, public restrooms were built for an overtly classist reason. Those lower-class people are filthy and spread diseases, and to protect the upper-class people who share the same space, and also for the greater good for public sanitation, public toilets came about. Then the public space stopped being a place that everyone had to be, regardless of who you are. Those with the resources can isolate themselves in their private spaces, which exponentially expanded by consuming the public space through gentrification and privatizations. And when the wealthy no longer have to share that same public space with the less fortunate, incentives to improve that public space falls. Public restrooms slowly evolved into a proto-luxury good that was quickly adopted by the private sphere. It became more about appealing to customers than providing a public service. No longer were restrooms those standalone public restrooms. Now you find them in hotels, in movie theaters, in department stores, in airports, train stations, and they are much more well maintained, even luxurious than traditional tax dollar supported public restrooms. Essentially, it became classist in that if you don't have money, you don't matter. We replaced the pay toilet that openly demanded a small fee in favor of a pay toilet that is more subtle. But also more oppressive. It's not a coin that bars you from these restroom, but it's social norms, sometimes private security, sometimes the police and the law. As restrooms became more of a private matter, as in the private sector, not as in private, the public sector will find themselves without a reason to consider them. This is from KHON2 News in Honolulu. A new multi-billion-dollar public rail has zero public toilets anywhere. There will be one feature noticeably missing. Bathrooms in a story that's new at nine. Jen Boniza spoke to one official to find out why there aren't any and what residents think about it. This was followed by a series of interviews of local residents who obviously expressed many frustrations with this. Like many things in our society, lack of investment in public resources like public restrooms is a policy decision made by elected officials, a conscious decision. They said so themselves. I asked DTS Director Roger Morton when and why they didn't include bathrooms. Morton says the decision was made years ago. It's not uncommon in rail transit stations around the country to not have bathrooms. It's a combination of things, but it is uh, they, that it is become unmanageable in some cities to try to operate restrooms. However, the highlight of this episode is the delusion of a comment from the director of public transportation services. Though there are no public restrooms available in any of the rail stations, Morton tells me that they do have at least one employee bathroom available in the event of an emergency. If the public is really, really in need of a bathroom, it just it's kind of like in a restaurant where uh, there's a key to get access to the bathroom. Wow. What a let them eat cake type of statement. He may as well have said, I don't understand why people are so upset. This choice was deliberate, made by people directly or through elected representative. This is why voting is so important, especially in local elections. One reason they gave of why they made this decision has to do with quote unquote safety. But what they really mean is crime. Our council even debated that and agreed at the time that given our research with our industry peers nationwide, that having public open access restrooms, unrestricted access restrooms, led to the possibility of encouraging crime and other illicit activities that would compromise the safety and security of our stations. 
compromises the safety of our stations. How dramatic? Are we in a war zone? Is the crime that you're thinking of cooking meth in the public restrooms? Are cartels basing their entire operations in small train station bathrooms? Compromising the safety of our station. What a fear-mongering statement. The other main reason is vandalism. When the city opened these restrooms here at the Alapai Bus Transit Center to the public, they were initially only intended for bus drivers. Nouchi tells me that the damage and problems started almost immediately and were, in most cases, severe. We've had people destroy porcelain, set off fireworks in there, destroy walls where it looks like a war zone. War zone. War zone. War zone in there. Here's just one example of what can happen in open public restrooms. Someone blew up a toilet Thursday night in the Makapu'u Beach Park men's bathroom. That's a problem the transportation department wants to avoid at Skyline stations. This is the tragedy of the commons. These concerns are not unwarranted, but are fundamentally misguided. First, in response to crime, if the solution is revoking the public restroom, you are punishing the wrong people. And the solution to this, which costs money, which is why no one is keen on this, is to install security cameras, more patrols, design the bathroom in a smarter way so that it discourages those behaviors that you want to discourage, more budget for maintenance, you know. These things would actually punish the people who deliberately destroy public property. Second, having no restroom means that the problem of the lack of public facilities still remains. You've solved nothing. Imagine, humor me, if you will, if people are setting garbage cans on fire and the city response is removing waste management services and residents would need to deliver their weekly trash to the waste management facilities themselves, doesn't that sound ridiculous? Because it doesn't solve the problem, but rather shifts the problems onto someone else. The lack of investment in public restroom is reflective of the willful ignorance of the unhoused and vagrant population. But no one wants to say that quiet part out loud. The pay toilet reflects this tension too. We know for a fact that the payment doesn't cover any significant portion of maintenance, let alone generating excess revenue. The intention of the fee is to mainly to serve as a barrier to bar certain people from entering the bathrooms. No one wants to openly admit it, so they dress it up as a fee for maintenance. Remember the discussion of lifting the ban on paid toilets in San Diego? The city included a proposal in their list of this year's lobbying priorities in Sacramento, hoping to overturn the ban on paid toilets. The conversation started actually at MTS, and our position there as a board member wanted to increase access to restrooms for our transit riders. We'd heard uh, repeatedly from folks that that was important to them. We kept running into the barrier of operational costs. Council President Sean Elo Rivera, who's pushing for a possible amendment, says the goal is to increase access to public restrooms. The charge would cover the cost to install additional restrooms. Again, this is not the case. The fee would barely put any dent in the cost. They want to increase access, but not for everyone, just for customers, in this case, transit riders. They're not even trying to be subtle. When people push back on how the unhoused population will be affected, they proposed the following solution. Elo Rivera says homeless people could be given special tokens to let them use the restrooms for free and will continue to support those in need. Hey, you know how we made it cost money to use the toilets, meaning you have harder access to the restroom? Don't worry, we fixed that by giving you something that reminds you of how unfortunate your situation is and that you're essentially a pitiful second-class citizen. If you want to help people, just help them. You don't have to do this ridiculous gymnastics to kind of help them, but not really, and also demean them at the same time. 
the debate of public restroom was never about the restroom. It was always about public spaces and who can be there. This extends beyond unhoused population we have in our cities. When you go on YouTube and search about public restrooms, it takes only a few scrolls down before you start seeing videos of unhoused people sleeping in public restroom filmed in a very insensitive way or commonly now right-wing commentary about how gender-neutral bathrooms are abhorrent. All reminders that right-wing propaganda is never that far away. The political right, being homophobic and transphobic that they are, all of a sudden cares about public restrooms because they don't want LGBT plus people in any public spaces and the bathroom, the public bathroom, even though they kind of don't really care about it for 20 plus years, and the public bathroom is one of those public spaces. Do they actually care about public services and goods? Probably not. It's mostly about restricting the people that they don't like from those public spaces. People don't like public restrooms. Chances are you don't either. And I personally know multiple people who will make an effort to make sure that they don't have to use public restroom or indeed any unfamiliar toilets. Whether we like it or not, the concept of a public restroom has a stigma attached. We associate them with a certain group of people. And why? It's because we have left no other space for the unhoused to be. We don't want them at bus stops. We don't want them at train stations. We don't want them at subway stations. We don't want them in public parts. We don't want them sleeping on benches. So we attach those little ugly rails to stop people from lying horizontally. We don't want them near water fountains. We don't want them near public plazas. We don't want them near residential areas or commercial areas. The public restroom is one of the few places left where they can seek some shelter and solace and the dignity of not having to urinate or defecate on the street. But even that is being removed. Instead of providing more public spaces or indeed assistance for the less fortunate, our response has been taking away even more public space at the expense of the public. You might be asking, what are the public health effects of having little to no public restrooms? The traditional concerns of public urination and defecations are mostly gone, right? Not really. It depends on which country. The United Nations estimates that around 1 billion people in the world still defecate in public, largely due to the lack of resources. I need not to explain why that's bad for sanitation, hygiene, and health. What about developed countries like the US? You'd be surprised. It still happens. It's a key part of sanitation to make public restroom in public spaces. They typically have sinks and running water, which provides washing and cooling in our increasingly hot summers. They offer space for parents to change diapers as well in a pinch. Also, having public restroom means we can worry less about our emergencies should they arise. But most importantly, it provides an important resource to the unhoused, which, with the rising cost of living, is becoming a much more prevalent issue in this country. Other reasons, a lack of public restroom restricts the movement of certain more vulnerable populations as they may need to use it more frequently than others and if they know that they don't have access to restroom when they're in public, that restricts where they can be at any given time. More workers are constantly on the move now, like Uber drivers, delivery people, mail carriers, and they could really benefit from having access to clean public restrooms. Many taxi drivers and Uber drivers reported having to pee in water bottles at least once because they couldn't find a public restroom without paying for something. Also, wouldn't it be nice if you're just walking your dog at a park and you have an emergency, you don't have to do it in the bushes or run home? Wouldn't it be great to just make life better for everyone? The public space is meant for the public. The current lack of public restroom is just one manifestation of the lack of investment in our public spaces. And if we invest in our public spaces, it's not just helping the unhoused and the less fortunate, it's also making life better for everyone.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. Please follow us on Instagram and Mastodon. We're also now on threads. Uh, let's all move away from Twitter as it became problematic as much as we can. We still have our Twitter account, but it'll only be posting new episodes announcements. For more content, definitely follow us on Instagram and threads. Mastodon is where I post some of my more spicy takes if you want to follow me on there. And Patreon is our website. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you have any comments, questions, or future suggestions, you can email us at everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. And remember, everything is public health. There's not much information that I could find about Masklin's original intention for creating the Penny Public Toilet, so I can only speculate why he felt the need to create this device. Perhaps it was for a classist reason, perhaps he just thought it was neat. Whatever it was, the 2001 Tony Award-winning musical Urinetown definitely resulted from it. It's only fair that I tell you the ending to said musical, heads up, spoilers for Urinetown. The ending of Urinetown loops back around to reflect the tragedy of the commons tension with public restrooms. After the protagonist successfully overthrew the mega corporation and thus freeing everyone to urinate as much as they want, yay, no more pay to pee, the excessive use of flushing of toilets depleted the already dwindling water supplies, and people died of thirst. Not sure what message they wanted to end on, never seen the musical myself. <laughs>